0: Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Intelligence Matters with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morrell. Brought to you by Lockheed Martin. Your mission is ours.
1: There are things that computers can do that are better than humans, because, you know, frankly, computers don't get bored, they don't have to sleep, they have infinitely better memories. And the initial use of artificial intelligence in national security is probably in vision systems. If you think about national security in your previous roles, you spend an awful lot of time just sort of watching things. Watching for this, watching for that, watching for someone, watching for something to happen, watching for something to be said. Computers are extraordinarily good at finding that needle in a haystack using artificial intelligence principles.
2: Where is the US relative to China in terms of AI capabilities and which way are the trends
1: headed? Where we are today with AI Is that we judge America still ahead, but China investing very heavily and likely to catch up very soon.
2: In general, what aren't we doing that we should be doing?
1: Well, we have lots of recommendations. In fact, we have 750 pages of recommendations. Right, (laughs) I know, I know. We took the liberty of writing the laws for the government so they could just say yes. So that's how serious we are about this threat. I want to win for America, and I want America to do whatever it takes to build the next generation of platforms in technology that cause trillions of dollars of new companies to get created. There are going to be an awful lot of great business opportunities for businesses to work with the U.S. government as this AI revolution unfolds.
2: Somebody says to you, so at the end of the day, why does this matter to me?
1: What would your answer be? Does it matter that America leads the technology world? And the answer is absolutely stock market wealth is directly tied to the innovation that we do.
2: Eric Schmidt is a giant in understanding technology and how will it impact our lives and our security. He was the CEO of Google from 2001 to 2010, and he served as the company's executive chairman for another seven years. He is the founder of Schmidt Futures, and he was the chairman of the recently concluded National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence. I just sat down with Eric to talk about the commission, its report, and what it means for national security. We'll be right back with that discussion after a word from our exclusive sponsor. I'm Michael Morrell, and this is Intelligence Matters.
1: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital.
2: Welcome to Intelligence Matters, Eric. It is terrific to have you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. This is an incredibly important subject.
2: So you're joining us today to talk about the recent report of the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, on which you served as chairman. And you just said it, but I think this may be one of the most important episodes that we've done in our three years of doing Intelligence Matters. Eric, let me ask you to start by telling us what artificial intelligence is. And I'd kind of love for your answer to be, you know, kind of AI 101, because I I actually think there's a lot of people who talk about AI, but I'm not sure they really understand what it is. So to get kind of a baseline here, what is AI?
1: So the term was invented in the 1950s. And it took more than 50 years to develop something that was akin to the original idea, which was human-level artificial intelligence, or what seems to be human-level ability in computers. There's no question today we have artificial intelligence in our devices. Every time you use something that translates from one language to another, that's a good example of AI today.
2: Eric, can you can you explain how AI relates to or perhaps not all the other key technologies that we hear about from semiconductors to 5G to advanced manufacturing to quantum to bio and on and on? How does how does AI relate to those?
1: Each of the ones that you named are the basis of what we believe are multi-trillion dollar industries of the future. And as a matter of national pride, national security, national economics, all of us believe that the United States needs to be the leader in each of the categories that you just named. In some, such as 5G, we're not already. In others, such as AI, we believe we're ahead, but we have a very strong challenger. In China.
2: Why is AI so important? I, mean, I understand what you just said in terms of it's important to the economy, but why so important to national security? Why so important to national security that we created a, a
1: national commission to look at it? Well, there are things that computers can do that are better than humans because, you know, frankly, computers don't get bored, they don't have to sleep, they have infinitely better memories. And the initial use of artificial intelligence in national security is probably in vision systems. If you think about national security in your previous roles, you spend an awful lot of time just sort of watching things, watching for this, watching for that, watching for someone, watching for something to happen, watching for something to be said. Computers are extraordinarily good at finding that needle in a haystack using artificial intelligence principles. And I cannot imagine the CIA or the National Security Agency or any of the DNI functions not having very powerful AI systems to assist our human intelligence officers from watching things. That's a first use. The next use is probably autonomy. The future of our national defense is not more aircraft carriers and more tanks. It's more autonomous ships and more autonomous tank equivalents, which we can send into battle to defend ourselves without loss of human life on our side.
2: And what about, how do you think about the ethics involved here? I mean, you, 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 you hear an awful lot about, particularly in a military context, right? Right the ethics. How did you think
1: about that as a commission? Well, we spent a lot of time talking about where the boundaries for AI ethics were. And it's useful to know that every major corporation in America now has an ethics panel, an ethics set of rules about how this stuff should be used. And one of the things that we concluded is that any use of AI should be done with American values An obvious example is we don't believe in discrimination and so systems that would automatically discriminate are not good, things which have inherent biases that we dislike in our country are not okay with us. The military, the DOD in particular, has also adopted an AI ethics plan. So we say that all of these AI activities need to be done consistent with a set of ethics principles that are published and understood. The law of war is published And one of the goals in the United States is for us to maintain adherence to that. We're required to do so. And the military is very committed to doing that.
2: So, Eric, you talked a little bit about where we are relative to China. I'm hoping you can talk a little bit more. Where is the U.S. relative to China in terms of AI capabilities and which way
1: are the trends headed? So a couple of years ago, the Chinese government announced a set of initiatives, which are generally known as Made in China 2025 and the AI strategy for 2030. And those um, agreements or announcements that they made said that it is their objective to be the world's leaders and indeed dominate, in some translations, the following fields, AI, semiconductor, high energy, quantum, synthetic biology, and a few others. All of those technologies are the basis of American exceptionalism globally. The development of the platforms that those imply will drive an enormous amount of jobs, wealth, huge new, very large companies in the United States, et cetera. Where we are today with AI is that we judge America still ahead, but China investing very heavily and likely to catch up very soon. We don't say what soon is, but my personal opinion is a few years, not five years. And in my industry, a few years is nothing. And our report specifically says that we must be ready as a nation by 2025 in all of the implications of AI, training, systems, uh, protection, weapons, everything that you care about. Um, in order to meet this challenge, do we know enough about where the Chinese
2: are, or are we, or is there some level of estimation here in terms of where they are? What's what's our degree of visibility? So, into what? Because up we to? were
1: a government commission, we had access to the classified data that the intelligence community uses in this area. And so, without going into the details, I can tell you that the claims we make are supported by a great deal of evidence that is coming out of the secret world, as well as open source analysis that we did. Plus, frankly, we talked to the Chinese, the people that we know, and asked them what's going on, and they told us. And Eric, what, what's
2: behind the trend of them catching up and potentially passing us if we don't do the right things? Why, why is this happening?
1: Well, the Chinese are a top-down uh, autocracy, best way to describe them. And they have these multi-year quests, and they put you know, millions of people behind them. Uh, China has many more engineers than the United States does. Um, they have invested heavily in basic research, the so-called STEM fields. And in that sense, they've decided to become real competitors to the United States. Many countries have made these claims and we've been able to stay ahead of them because of the wonderfulness of America's governance, the way our universities work, uh, the intelligence of our people, the fact that we allow high-skills immigration into our country. But China is a different kind of competitor and we collectively believe that China will be at parity quite soon unless we act fairly quickly. I'll also notice that in the last few days, President Xi announced that they were an equal to the United States. He didn't mince words. He said, you have to deal with us now as an equal. So it's clearly coming from the very, very top of the country.
2: Right. So it's it's what they're doing, but it must also be what we're not doing, right, given all the recommendations that I want to get to, but it must be a combination of the two, right? So what aren't we doing? And I don't want to you know, get too far ahead here into the recommendations, but in general, what aren't we doing that we should be doing?
1: Well, we have lots of recommendations. In fact, we have 750 pages of recommendations. Right. <laughs> I know. And I know. we took the liberty <laughs> of writing the laws for the government so they could just say yes. So that's how serious we are about this threat. Um, there's a set of very important ones. One is to increase the funding in research and development in the United States, roughly doubling it every, uh, every year or so for the next three or four or five years. We need to get our funding up so that it's competitive with the money that China is putting in. We also have said that talent is everything and that while our government servants are hard workers, they don't necessarily have the right background. This AI stuff is hard even for me, and I have a PhD in it. So it's important that we take special steps to get special skills into our government so people can understand what's going on. We propose, for example, an academy that would take young people who want to serve the government and give them a four-year technical education in return for five years of service in the federal government, in the DOD, or in the IC, or similar groups. We have a number of initiatives like that to try to get the the union. America is strongest when all the parts of it work together against a common cause. And the special talent is in the universities and the private sector. We need to find a way to get that special talent into the government and have the government not lose them because they mismanage them.
2: So big categories here of recommendations, R&D, talent, what else?
1: Well, we talked earlier um, about the importance of ethics, and we talk about that that we have to do things consistent with America's values. We would never want the AI stuff that we fund look foreign to us since it's us. Um, We talk a lot about partners. It's traditional in the United States to think we're everything, because, of course, after World War II, we really were everything. But today, the best safety and the best security is to work with our democratic partners. And there's a fairly well-understood list of countries which, by the way, include India, Japan, South Korea, uh, Britain, Germany, France, a few others, Israel, who have the technical capability to partner with us to really move this technology forward. Um, That's another one. We talk about the need for building a research network uh, for um, for universities. One of the problems with this technology is it tends to be controlled by a small number of very large firms, including Google, which I used to be part of. And we think it's important that we create a large number of new research efforts and new startups to compete with them, but also to explore the many, many things that AI can offer. And I haven't even talked about the benefits of AI. Um, There are many, starting with medical devices, medical discovery, that sort of thing.
2: So you hear a lot of discussion, including from President Biden, about a new relationship between the government and the private sector in a whole host of areas how do you think about that broadly as it relates to as it relates to ai how do you see it how do you see that relationship what is what do you think it should look like and how do you respond to those people that say right that's just not who we are it's not consistent with you know a free market we shouldn't be picking winners and losers how do you how do you think about all that
1: Well, I start from the premise that I want to win for America, and I want America to do whatever it takes to build the next generation of platforms in technology that cause trillions of dollars of new companies to get created. The American system is not just companies, it's also the government and the universities. When I was a graduate student, I was funded by the U.S. government to get my degree. I wouldn't be here if I had not received that funding. That's how important the synergy between these are. Corporations have both a moral responsibility to help uh, help the United States but also business imperatives to do so. There're going to be an awful lot of great business opportunities for businesses to work with the US government as this AI revolution um, unfolds. For people who criticize that, one of the benefits of a free country is that you can choose not to do it right No one's forcing you to work on it but I can report to you, That there are thousands and thousands of patriotic scientists, patriotic people, who want to help our government. And they want to do so in a way that advances their career and their technology as well.
2: We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back with more of a discussion with Eric Schmidt. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. to the report and to its recommendations, both from the administration and the Hill, and then even from the private sector, what kind of reaction have you gotten?
1: We've had a lot of support from and that's bipartisan support. I'm, I should add. oh sorry, let me say it again, I'll restart. We've had a lot of bipartisan support from Congress and also support from the White House and the Defense Department in our meetings so far, after releasing the report. After all, we were commissioned by the Congress, so they asked us to do this. One of the questions for me is, what is the mechanism by which these things happen? And normally there is a process which is called the NDAA, which you're well familiar with, which is a roughly yearly process of legislative changes around national security. And we have proposed changes to the NDAA, which we think have a high likelihood of going through. There's also a large proposal around infrastructure spending, including a large proposal around semiconductors, something we highlighted in the report as well. And so we hope that those two initiatives um, will make a material difference in the reception of this. Put another way, and I, I, I say this to you as a government veteran, if there's no money supporting these proposals they're unlikely to have the kind of impact. But with material new money, we think the government can get its act together and do this on the timeline that we propose. It's going to take multi-billion dollar funding, which we think is possible in the current climate.
2: So the authorization to do the kind of things that need to be done would be through the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA. And do you hope to get some of the funding you need in the infrastructure bill?
1: We do. And um, the infrastructure bill, as you know, is not fully baked yet. So we're working hard to find the places to hook the necessary language to get the money. I think we'll see a good chunk of what we've asked, not because our arguments are so good, but because in the political structure, everyone agrees on one thing, which is Americans' leadership In these technologies must be maintained,
2: and you know it's interesting to me that that wasn't the view five years ago, right? We weren't even talking about this. People weren't focused on it in government. People weren't focused on it on the Hill. It's really changed dramatically in the last few years. What's driven that? Has it been China's gains, or what's driven our awareness here that we have a problem and? you know, so much awareness, right, that it's bipartisan.
1: If you go back to 10 years ago, there was a discussion about the pivot to Asia. So the, yeah. the people who've paid attention to this have known this was coming. In the last five years, the biggest change has been a much much more aggressive posture from China on important things that we care about, the most obvious one being Taiwan. And I think that that plus the various trade deals, trade negotiations, and so forth, which were somewhat inconclusive, um, I think have highlighted the general understanding of the Chinese problem. I think for the technical community, one of the things that happened was that the, uh, a group at Google called DeepMind went to China and won using AI, a game called Go. It's not played in the United States, but it's the central game of China. It's about 2,500 years old. And many of us believe that that win, where the computer beat the smartest, literally go player in the world, was for them a Sputnik moment in understanding the power Mm. that AI could provide. With that, it's very clear that right after that, they organized these responses, the funding and so forth in AI. there's another interesting thing that has happened, which we don't talk that much about, which is the rise of Huawei and the concern, uh, the rise of TikTok, the concern over chips, which a lot of people have begun to worry about. So when I would go talk to a senator or a congress, congressman or woman, they would ostensibly be there to talk about AI, but then they would start asking me about 5G and TikTok and so forth. And 5G is a good example where China, using a set of techniques, ended up with a company which had a stronger product offering that America did not have a good answer to, where America cared about its national security involving telecommunications. And that created a conundrum for the government because they didn't want the Western allies to use Huawei, but they didn't have a constructive alternative. And I think that the sum of all of those caused everyone to understand that we have to change our game. There are categories of technology of which semiconductors, AI, synthetic biology are examples where we must win. We don't want to be in the position that we are now with Huawei and 5G, where we don't have a competitive offering. We're working on it, but there may be a factor of 10 ahead of us. That's not okay.
2: My sense from the people that I talk to around the world is that if we have the capability here, they would want to do business with us. But if we don't have the capability here, they have no choice but to go to China. Does that resonate with you?
1: Um, That's true for the countries that are Western. It's not true for what are called the BRI countries. And the Belt and Road Initiative countries get financing and essentially just adopt whatever China tells them. So if you follow that line of reasoning, one future structure of the world will be China and her allies and then the West and Mm -hmm. its allies together fighting over these technology platforms. Now you say, what's a technology platform? Why does it matter? Well, imagine if Google were Chinese, right? So the Chinese rules about information and censorship were applied in the US. Well, that wouldn't be acceptable. Imagine if Apple was a Chinese company, and you were always wondering if the Chinese were listening to you on your phone well, that's a problem. I mean, you start going through this because of the the nature of communications and semiconductors in our lives. It's important that the supply chain of software and hardware be consistent with the national security of the United States.
2: Are semiconductors the most important parallel technology here to, to AI?
1: Uh, we believe so. And in our report, we say that it's very important that the United States take a, a position and put money behind it. And it's lots of money, by the way, that the United States stayed two semiconductor generations ahead of the Chinese. Now today we use chips that come out of Korea, the United States, and especially a country called Taiwan and a company called TSMC, which is a, 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 just a megalith company. This is enormous corporation that you that builds really state of the art chips, TSMC as an example just announced this past week that they're going to spend a hundred billion with a B dollars to build a new set of plants to do their new, uh, new and even faster technologies. Uh, the current proposals in the United States are only thirty five to forty billion, so it gives you a sense of the amount of money involved in this semiconductor issue. I've been looking at the semiconductor thing for 20 years. This was a big issue under the Obama administration, and no one really knows how to catch up with Taiwan. We need to solve that problem. China has had an activity for the last 30 years where they've been trying to catch up with Taiwan. And again, they have not been able to either, even though they're 100 miles across the strait and there are many TSMC factories that are in mainland China. That shows you how, and they've that, been that shows you how difficult this technology is,
2: and they've been been poaching tsMC engineers and of course, stealing intellectual property, and, and they're still struggling. so Eric, I want to ask you one more time, but in a different way, why this why this matters, and what I'd like to do is kind of put you in talking in front of a civic group. say, Kansas City or St. Louis, and somebody says to you, so at the end of the day, why does this matter to me? Right? You've described this world where there are two poles, there's one around China and there's one around
1: us. You know, why do I care about that? Why does that matter? What would your answer be? Speaking to an audience in the middle of the country, I would start by saying, does it matter that America leads the technology world? And the answer is absolutely. The five most valuable companies in the United States are technology companies with more coming. So even if you don't care about anything else, you care about your retirement plan, that wealth, that stock market wealth is directly tied to the innovation that we do. If you care about health, AI and the areas that I'm discussing here will revolutionize the drugs and the treatments that you get as you age and deal with the infirmities of age. If you care about national security, do you really want opponents, and in particular China, looking at what you're doing, understanding how your processes are, and actually stealing or otherwise interfering with the things that you're doing? Of course you don't. So this is the next challenge. It was the nuclear challenge, then it was the naval challenge, and then it was various conflicts, and now it's all about ai leadership and making sure that the ai tools are used in the appropriate ways for our national security but also our business security and we tend to focus on national security as intelligence for example or uh, weapons but our national security is just as in, uh, is just as dependent upon our economic security right we desperately absolutely. need absolutely strong growing global businesses that are exporting, that are getting our values. One of the greatest things that we've done is allow American firms to build global platforms that have exported American culture, our movies, the way we think, our values, the way we treat people, our diversity, right? It's good for the world. Imagine if we were prevented to doing so. It would be a real problem.
2: I want to jump back to semiconductors again. Do you think it's possible to catch up
1: with TSMC? We don't know. Uh, historically in technology markets, the leader in a category remains the leader as long as they are executing because they get what are called positive network effects. They get the top people, they get more money, they get more bases and so forth. It's almost certain that we can build a system which is as good as what TSMC did last year. The question is, can we do what they're doing for next year? And that's a much harder challenge in technology. It's true in every platform, not just in, um, in in semiconductors as well. If you were advising
2: the Biden administration on how to implement the Chips Act, would you advise them to make it to make the subsidies and incentives available only to U.S. controlled firms or to foreign firms as well?
1: So the language that we use is that we should make these systems available to American firms and authorized foreign firms. And the specific language is the DOD language about partners that are in other democratic countries. And there are a couple. But I'm assuming that by the time we're done, the vast, vast majority of the CHIPS Act will go to American firms. I'm actually much more concerned about having that money go to the waste It's very easy for a political leader, without understanding the subtleties, to say, I'm going to spend this amount of money to get what they're doing now. And I would much rather have a group of scientists and thinkers be appointed by the White House to say, okay, you guys are so smart. You tell us what it's going to take to win in semiconductors. Tell us precisely what are the technologies how do you control for the the semiconductor risks of some kind? There are huge new programs. The, the United States has funded a microelectronics research program and platforms for the last decade or so, which may give us some new ideas. If we just copy what other people are doing, we won't get what we want. So this has to be driven by the top scientists in our country. Uh, one of my, when I was working with the DOD, I had the privilege of working, of visiting some of the DOE labs that do the nuclear work. And you have physicists there who are at the top of their game that are serving our nation because the stuff is so hard. We need a similar set of devotion and candidates and people who are at the top of their microelectronics game working with and for the White House and the government to make sure we don't waste this money.
2: So Eric, this competition with China across all of these key technologies. Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic with regard to the outcome?
1: I am a realist at this point. Um, I think the opportunities before us, I'm really pleased at the reaction that we're getting. A lot will depend. It's not just money, remember. It's specific people and specific decisions. And we have shown a roadmap, but it's possible that that roadmap could be poorly implemented. So one of the things that we need the government to do is to monitor this and make sure you're actually getting what you want. Our government sometimes, as a general statement, seems to be happy just to spend money without judging the outcome. The outcome here is we have to win. And so we have competitors and we have to benchmark against the competitors and do what it takes to make sure we, d- we stay ahead of them.
2: You know, the 9-11 Commission kept on reconvening right, to look at how the government was implementing its recommendations. Is there any been any discussion about you guys reconvening and being public about how you're assessing um, how the government is responding to your recommendations?
1: Um, not yet. We would certainly be willing to do that or do it in an appropriate form at the time. I don't think this is going to succeed without all of us. It's just easy to write a report and throw it over the transom. It's much harder yep. to get the right people aligned. Uh, we're spending a, The commission is spending a lot of time now with our counterparts, getting them educated. Uh, we're sending some of the staff that wrote the report into the government so they fully understand what the report is. So they're embedded literally inside of each of the, the secretary's offices. So we're doing everything that we can think of. But I think at the end of the day, I would have some form of external review on AI. And I would do the same thing on semiconductors. I think it's too important not to do it.
2: Is there a window in which we need to act or it'll be too late? Or will it never be too late?
1: We're we're, we're in that window now. We have to act now. In our report, we say we have to be AI ready by 2025. We think that if we're not in that configuration, the leadership that China and other countries, and we haven't spoken much about uh, Russia and her activities, but each of them is on a path in these areas. If they get well ahead of us, it will be very hard for us to catch up.
2: So Russia is also threatening our leadership.
1: It is. It's much smaller and much less broadly focused. But they have very significant cyber activities underway, um, which have been discussed in the media. And we spend a lot of time in our report talking about making sure that our cyber defenses are strong and that we understand what's going on in the networks around us. And that's the Russia connection.
2: And how does AI, just for my listeners, how does AI apply to cyber?
1: Well, one of the things AI is very good at is watching for unusual things. Um, if you sit in your house, you notice a change in your house that you didn't see because you remember what it looks like. Well, AI can do that a million times a millionth of a second. And so AI is going to be needed to watch the networks to see an unusual activity. And then typically what happens is the AI says, hey, guys, there's an unusual activity. Why don't you take a look at it? there are more powerful AI systems which can also begin to diagnose what the problems are. And that's the state of the art right now.
2: So, Eric, we're running out of time here, and I have one more question for you. So a not insignificant share of my listeners um, are undergraduate and graduate students and young professionals. How should they think about their role here?
1: Well, this is a great time to be entering these fields. Because all of that stuff that everyone learned about in national security and global geopolitics is about to get upended again by these technology dominance platforms. So who will be the leaders in the next five to 10 years? It'll be the countries and the partnerships, that is the alliances, that can assemble their technical resources to fight this game, to fight for global leadership. And indeed, the primary competition with China in the next decade will be in this area. Now, we love to talk about steel and food and all of those things, but those are commodities. The ability to control a platform is the sexy thing in geopolitics. If you control a platform, you can control behavior, you can control economics, you can control thought in the most extreme examples in a nation state characteristic. So I feel very strongly that we need to sort of take our young people and get them excited about this. Uh, In my world, AI has taken over computer science, and computer science is now the number one major in all the leading universities in the United States. And Within computer science, every undergraduate does a machine learning AI course. So not only is this important, but our universities and our students have responded correctly with enormous supply of brilliant people to work on these problems the issue here is not that we don't have the talent we have the talent coming the problem is we're not organized to win so we say very very clearly in the in in our report that the government is not organized nor resourced to win the technology competition against a committed competitor that's focused on ai we have, and if you're interested in geopolitics, which, I, which both of us are, we actually spend quite a bit of time suggesting that we build partnerships, such as an international digital democracy initiative, to work precisely on these things across, a- across the democracies of the world. This is our future.
2: Eric, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an incredibly important conversation. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Michael. And thank you for doing all the things you've been doing for this.
2: Thanks. That was Eric Schmidt. I'm Michael Morrell. Please join us next week for another episode of Intelligence Matters.
0: Intelligence Matters is sponsored by Lockheed Martin. Your mission is ours. This show is produced by Olivia Gassis, Jamie Benson, Jake Rosen, Paulina Smolinsky, and Ashley Armstrong. For more from this week's show, visit CBSNews.com. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS Audio.